Hello, good morning, and welcome back to Spill the Watts podcast. Today, we have Finley Pickering on the podcast. Finn is a 20-year-old, under-23 elite cyclist for Trinity Racing. He was born and raised in East Yorkshire, and I'm pleased to say that over the last few years, he's managed to keep his broad accent, even with all that travel and races across the continent. He has some amazing results, such as a win on the GC at the Tour of Alsace and second at Otley GP. In this podcast, you can expect to hear about his unique personality, his childhood upbringing, how he finds life at the sharp end of under-23 racing, and how he has dealt with the tough times through his journey so far. This is not one to miss. Today's podcast was incredibly insightful, and Finley's not the type of guy that I expected him to be. Welcome to the podcast, Finley Pickering. Have you recently been? Uh, have you, you, there was a DNS at Baby Giro, wasn't there? Yeah, I um, well, basically, I think it was on the Tuesday. I went out, uh, just come back from uh, Alps's air tour, went out on a Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, and I was riding around Beverly on the roundabout. And basically, a car pulled out on me and knocked me off. Got a concussion. Oh wow! And then it wrote off my Giro. And then uh, I was meant to have two weeks off, but I wanted to ride Aosta because I was pretty hacked off about the Giro. Like a lot of preparation preparation went into the Giro. Mm. Basically, my whole year. Yeah. Get wow. towards it, and. Um, Spent three weeks up in Sierra Nevada alone, straight after having concussion, and then I get to Aosta, and on the second day I just get taken out, broke two ribs, um, and fractured my elbow, and I had a hematoma on my abdomen, abdomen as well. So, like, wow. I'm still sort of recovering from that, but <laughs> in seven seven days' time, I'm back racing. Um, so I'd like to see how that would go, but yeah. So what, remind me, what are the dates of that? When was the Giro meant, meant to be? Um, like June the 6th. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. was, that, that was target race for the season for you. And, uh, and yeah. I, and I actually, I, you know, I heard in an interview, um, can't remember what race it was post race interview that, yeah, you mentioned that that was one of your targets. Um, and yeah. what happened in this crash then was it completely driver's fault you yeah, pulled yeah. Out on you. the driver just pulled out on me um like yeah that's first time that's yeah. happened to you yeah and like it's quite scary 
and first time getting a a head injury for me as well. So it's quite um, I don't know. It's a weird feeling because I didn't feel normal, kind of thing. Oh, really? And yeah, it's it's weird, but yeah, it's, it's it's done now, isn't it? So, but yeah, completely driver's fault as well. Did use the uh, use the um, excuse of uh, didn't didn't see me, even though I was wearing a bright green helmet and bright Trinity kit. So, mm. um, yeah, it just. On that, then you said you didn't feel normal. Like, is that even like a few few days after kind of thing, or do you mean just like straight after the crash? Oh, uh, like a few days after, but after the crash, um, I was a bit. Um, I I didn't have my balance as well. Like, I dropped something on the road, and I went to pick it up, kind of thing, and. I just sort of remember like the ground coming back at me again. Wow. Um, and then uh, I can't remember who took me to the hospital. So my uh, granddad picked me up and drove me to the hospital. Can't remember that. Um, and then for a few days after, um, yeah, I just felt like cloudy and just didn't really know where I was kind of thing. Like I knew it was a, uh, um, like at home and stuff, but I um, well, yeah, I just didn't didn't kind of <laughs> know where I was. Pretty savage, yeah. I mean, I've touch wood. I've yet to have any sort of collision with any road traffic or any other cars. Um, and I know as a cyclist, you kind of know it's going to come at some point, probably. Um, you know, if you do it for long enough you're going to get unlucky one day um, and ultimately it's just about taking as much precaution as you can. And uh, obviously you're young and you'll, you'll bounce a lot easier than some of the older, older yeah. cyclists. So that will be on your side, but it's never nice to hear. And I know, I know for a lot of people that kind of thing does shake you up because ultimately when it's not happened to you before, and when you're a very talented rider like you, um, it's, you know, you feel like, and I'm not suggesting this is the case, but you do feel like you're a bit untouchable sometimes. And I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah. suggesting you take risks or anything like that, but you do feel like, you know, you've got the skills so that even if someone did pull out on you, you'd be able to like navigate around them quickly or, or break in time without sliding out or whatever. But then, yeah, I mean, it catches you out sometimes like that. And then, you know, it, it can be a bit of a shock. Finn, I didn't want to start the podcast like that. Um, that's, no, that's a pretty negative I... way of starting the podcast. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Um, and I do endeavor to start the podcast slightly differently for each guest to kind of keep them on their toes a bit. So for you, I'm going to ask you, um, it's 9.30 on a Tuesday morning. Yeah. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Nothing yet. Nothing. Have you not eaten yet? Wow. Not yet. Is I'm, that a regular uh, thing to not eat for the first few hours or? Well, it depends. Like if I'm training properly, I will. But like now, um, it's hard. Well, it's not hard, but I'm trying to enjoy it again because I kind of have done it. I did two blocks of altitude 
Um, and like coming back from injury, so I'm a f- I had a week of training out on the road last week, and then this week training back out on the road. But yeah, I'm just not living by a schedule anymore. I'm just sort of doing things like as and when my body feels they need it or I feel I need to um, because I don't want to um, quite yet get back to the way I live when I want to, want to achieve a goal because I think um, I have to keep something in the in the bank for maybe October when I've got another goal coming up so I can chase it a bit harder. Um, but to be honest as well, like, I don't really like like English food or the stuff that's in England anymore. So, uh, surely, the, surely the benefit of being in the UK is that you can literally dictate whatever you eat. You can make... You could make a continental breakfast. You could make whatever you want for first meal. Yeah, but there's just something. It's, it's like it's not the same, is it? Like so. What when you when you, when, when you say that then? What what do you like then? What breakfast <sighs> would you go for? Normally, or what country would you be in? Oh, I'd be in Spain. I think just just like Spain, um, but. I think when I'm not training, though, I go to breakfast, probably like some sort of bread toast. Um, but when I'm training, obviously oats. <laughs> and then, um, not to be boring, but obviously when you're racing, it's like it's things like rice, isn't it? So mm-hmm. I think having bread at home um, or bread when I'm not sort of training is sort of the go-to breakfast because, again, like, something you don't have so it's kind of like i don't know it's so simple but it keeps you like sane sort of thing Mm. do you have a do you have a do you have a typical morning routine when you are in a bit of a training block then i know you at the minute it sounds like atypical but um when you are in a bit of a training block let's say you know uh two two months out from baby zero um would you say you have a typical morning routine or does it, do you kind of go with the flow and see what you fancy in the morning? No, I think I work with, um, Texas, like, um, there's a guy called David Dunn and through Trinity, I've uh, got to know, um, David and work with David Dunn quite a bit. And he's got an app called Hexis. Um, but like I've, I've used the app and everything like that worked out carbs, protein intake, fat, and um, uh, I think eight weeks out from the zero, I was, it was like a typical breakfast for training for me was like 60 grams of oats, um, 20 grams of honey, uh, 80 grams of like uh, berries, and a three egg omelette. And that was like a typical breakfast and uh, I smash quite a bit of coffee. I like coffee. Um, 
which is a, a good and bad thing sometimes. Um, I see you sipping on one now. Yeah, it's it's not my uh, usual one, but how do you yeah, like your coffee in the morning? Are you black or are you milk? Black, short, like really short. Like I like um, ristretto. So mm -hmm. like it's like twenty mils of just. Yeah, just the bean, basically. Strong stuff. <laughs> and then I'd sort of I'd wake up about um, around eight eight a.m. because for me it's a, like I was, I was away in Girona eight weeks out from the year I think so there it's it's pretty chilled out life and I've not got my dog I've not got. Um, access to uk netflix i've not got my friends i've not got family so i think just wake up at 8 8 a.m um then you know get a bit of breakfast uh look look outside see get a bit of sun or see what the weather's doing and then have a bit have a bit of a stretch um and then Think about the ride. Mm -hmm. Think about going out. If you're up at eight o'clock, what time are you normally out on the bike? Like anywhere between uh, half nine and like ten thirty. But again, now when I'm trying to enjoy it, it's sort of like when I feel like it, or not when I feel like it, but when. You know, there's no stress on being out at a certain time. It's just mm. kind of try, just trying to enjoy it as much as I can, trying to take away the, like, you know, not trying to control it as much, I think. Mm. I think you try and control so many things in going into a race that actually you forget how to truly enjoy riding your bike. Mm. Because there's all these, like, general rides you do or, like, endurance rides where they're a bit more, of in touch of how you started cycling by just pedaling. But I think even then, if you're doing a general ride in a, a like a training block, you're thinking about not pushing on too much so you don't knack yourself for the next day and actually pushing on up a hill or something as simple as that is just, it's just Enjoyable. nice. Mm. Yeah. I can relate to what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of people might be able to. Um, so when you say that you are just focusing a bit more enjoyment, then are you like with you and your coach, are you, are you structuring any kind of efforts at the minute then? Or is it literally just like ride most days, but just do what you fancy on the day kind of thing? Um, yeah. So, it's... <laughs> so today I've got um, like fresh old blocks um but they're, they're only short they're like um a bit like overs and unders it's the i think the the efforts only amount to something like 16 minutes and threshold in total so they're not shouldn't be mega hard um but he's also said that we're expecting to get out on the road like the first road ride to be on the 8th of um August and I'm already a bit of head of night schedule mm. um, and he said see how you feel and stuff um, so 
Yeah, and I don't. My sister's got a, a cold as well. I feel a bit ro- like not yeah. ropey, but I went out for a run two days ago. I feel a bit like like smashed, mm. and but like I'm gonna give it a go. But it's like trying to figure out like the right balance, mm. and or like also I found out how to get how like when to. Well, I'm getting better at trying to see when to back off and when to it's all right to push on because um, I found that I got I had glandular fever as well oh, at the start yeah. of the year. <laughs> so I was racing the to like I think May with glandular fever. Wow! Uh, picked up in uh, like a training camp in Calpe, and like I felt like fine. Um, but I don't know. There's something that just not right. But I just thought, oh, being soft, being soft. And it was, my dad was saying like, oh, like there's something just like not right about it. I was like, oh, I'm fine. Like this, that, and the other. Um, and then decided just to get a, a blood test, and it's like, oh yeah, you've had the, you've had kind of fever at some point and I've had blood records and stuff and it's popped up between um, basically like October last year and uh, was it May time? Mm. Wow. And I have, I have like blood records um, and the only um, time I was ill was after this uh, camp and like I just had a flu. I didn't think anything of it, but like the start of glandular fever, I think, because two other guys got it as well. So um, we must have been snogging each other or something. But, <laughs> yeah. So but it's like that teaches, I think, like how to back off. And I think I needed yeah. that lesson. Um, but yeah. So just, um, just to backtrack a little bit, just so we're fully clear then. So right now, painting a picture of where you're at you got knocked off your bike you had a total of three weeks off with no riding did you say um no i only had i was meant to take like three weeks off but i took five days five days right it took me five days to like yeah get out of bed sort of thing Mm. because with that you're in a dark room no phone obviously no riding and then yeah i was just sick of it still splitting headaches a lot of the time i'm guessing yeah and even sort of now really my eyes are a bit um sensitive right so i look real weird when i'm out on a dark day as well because i've always got these like glasses on now um but yeah headaches just feeling cloudy eyes hurting and just just feeling rubbish basically for five days and then um on the yeah on the fifth day or the sixth day i was just like sod this like i don't want to be in bed anymore mm. like even if it might make my um my head injury worse i'll just say i'm fine and ride the turbo and mm. touch wood it's it's gone all right mm. but i think I was still, I had this 
had a Oscar in my in my mind mm. and I wanted to make sure I could sort of get back for that because I've done a a really good block altitude um going into zero and I just yeah. Wanna make the most of it really. Yeah. So just to um uh I'm very mindful that we kind of just jump straight into conversation. There's gonna be the vast majority of people listening to this podcast will know who you are. A lot of people might have even met you. Um, but there will be some people listening to this that don't know who you are or have not heard of you before. So just to kind of put people in the picture so we're all on the same page. So could you please start by introducing yourself in a kind of short form, like elevator pitch format for the listeners? Um. Right, so my name is Finley Pickering, I'm 20 years old and I come from uh, Hull in the United Kingdom, uh, yeah and I'm, uh, I'm a bike rider at the moment, I'd say I'm, uh, I'm an amateur but I'm striving to become uh, a world tour bike rider in the next few years. You ride for Trinity Racing? Yep. Um... Before that, you rode for FDJ. Um, yeah, the Continental team. Mm. That was good. Um, and before that, was that was that PH Mass before that? Uh, yeah, as a junior. As a junior. And then we can go really far back. We can do my whole youth career as well. Well, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of listeners which would like to hear their team be called out. Um, their their <laughs> club be called out here. So before PH Masters a junior, you rode for well, it's a, the local the local bike shop Viva Vela. Mm-hmm. Yeah, best bike ever. That that well, I don't know if I can quite say that, but yeah, they get <laughs> a really good bike basically, and they they still help me out. So of course, got got drop that one in. Um, yeah, sure. And then what was it before? Um, I think. The year before that, I rode for, was it Waltop? I think it was oh, Waltop. So, cool. 15-year-old kid on the youth circuit with um, advertising at like a local brewery. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like the, <laughs> the good luck. But yeah, it's, it's, it's good. And then I think under 14, I was with like the local clubs. So like Cool Thursday. And then I think, um, like when I was twelve and started sort of racing, you obviously need a club. And mm. I think I joined. Uh, was it Clifton CC? Mm-hmm. So that's how I sort of met Max, Paul, Joe mm. Pidcock, Billy. This guy called Billy Lazenby. Don't don't ride anymore. But that's like basically where all my I made it. I made all my pals. I think. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I've did you do, do, but... did you do much of the Clifton training sessions? Yeah, I did a few. Um, I think my dad sort of pushed me towards doing that because it's a lot safer, isn't it, for a, mm-hmm. when your child to be out on the circuit than to be out on the the roads. Mm. So, and ultimately, those those Clifton sessions are great for developing kind of raw skills early on, aren't they? Um, Oh yeah, riding stuff. Credit to them. Um, yeah. So, 
In your list of top three biggest cycling achievements, you listed national champs as an under-16 win. Yeah. Um, was that at Oliver's Mount? Yeah, it was. Mm. Um, Mega achievement. Was that, and I think you were riding for, was that with Viva La Vela or was that with Hull Thursday back then? That was Viva La Vela. Yeah. I, I think like that's when, it was around that time when I, first started to like recognize you as well this this kid's gonna go places like that's when i i think that's when like certain people were starting to really like see you as an established rider yeah like i had a i had a good cross season Hmm. um but i got second in the national champs you won the national um champs as an under 16 while you raced for viva lovello um And that's, yeah, when you first started to kind of establish yourself as, you know, a really, really decent rider that was coming through and a lot of people started recognised you. You were also racing cyclocross at the time as well, as weren't you? And and doing yeah. really well in the National Series there. Yeah, so I won the National Series as a under-16. Uh, and then you always want the National Bands, don't you? Again, the National Bands is pretty special. So... Uh, it was at Gravesend, and uh, yeah, I just basically just got beaten um, just through skill. Um, you know, the guy was Corrick Carrick Anderson, who's um, really good mountain biker, just topped the hurdles and had to run in and it's quicker to top the hurdles. And yeah, he just got a gap and beat me fair and square. And then, you know, coming close to that, I was like, oh. I really won the national bands, so yeah, just had a had a good year and just won at Scarborough basically. Um, but it's like it's hard to say like you put in hard work and stuff. I was putting in hard work, but it's like as an under sixteen, you're putting like thirty hour blocks and stuff like that. But at that at that age, were you just training yourself? Uh, obviously, you're doing um, bits and bats of other kind of coaching sessions now and again, or, or training sessions. But were you dictating your week yourself, or um, no? As coach, I was, I was lucky enough to get on the um, like the like the British Cycling Development Programs. So I had a, a coach through them. So uh, I had, I think it was Chris Booth for um, 2019. In 2018, I had Ben Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ben's now uh, the sort of the head coach of the team pursuit. And Chris Booth is, I think, still with Bristol Cycling. Um, and yeah, I just got on with Chris Booth quite well mm-hmm. um, and yeah he was like setting the training but I think at that um, I think at that age the, the coaches are there to guide you and stuff give you a bit of a, a taste of what it's going to be like at junior when things get a bit more serious but mm. um, not they're not there to sort of cookie kind of thing you're not there to be a like a a state guinea pig 
Mm-hmm. You're just there to enjoy it, see who's talented, see who's can put in the hard work, who's mm-hmm. coachable. Um, it's just all, I think that was all about learning. Mm-hmm. So filling out training peaks, stuff like that. Yeah. What? Um, where did track come into it? Because uh, I. I and I, I remember bits about your timeline, and I do remember that you had, you know, with the British cyc- Cycling Programme, you did a, a year or a couple of years racing track, and obviously they tend to kind of push you that way, don't they? But where did that all come into it, and um, how did you find that? So I think um, they just, at the start, they just used the track as a, a place to get everyone together. It's, it's easy convenience safe than being out on the road and you're in touch with like like their goal of getting an olympian or you know a uh, an olympic team for the team pursuit and um yeah so you just race on tiny gears when you're younger stuff like that and then made the step up to junior academy and then that's a lot more um elitist there's only i think seven or eight of us spread over a two-year age group so like four first years to um no four first years four second years and that's a lot more um like team pursuit based um because then you go down when you're junior you either go down the sprint route or the endurance route and obviously, I'm not really a, a sprinter, so I, I went down the endurance route, and that's just um, just track basically. Mm-hmm. Um, they want you to do like uh, track races and stuff, so they have. Well, it's sort of the I don't know quite how it works now, but when I was there, it's the management pushing the track side because they want medals. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I think it's really difficult in junior because you think, because you've gone from being a, a youth where you can do everything to junior where you're finding out what you're better at, what you're not so good at. And then even as a, a junior, it's it's like you're not fully, either fully developed or you're not doing races that suit you. Mm. Um, so... I just found out that track was never going to be in the team pursuit because I'm just not not the building. It doesn't fit my sort of profile, my attributes. So, yeah, it's quite it's quite hard because I just remember being on the track and just just getting just battered basically because I'm just was kind of a bit too small, mm. like didn't really have like the raw power. I mean, ultimately, you know, I'm like, we're watching the Olympics now and um, they're all big guys, aren't they? They're all they're massive. All, it's they're huge. Even the endurance, different sport. even in the proper endurance kind of uh, disciplines, um, they're, yeah, the big guys. They're, they're, I mean, I don't know weights, but they're touching 80 kilos, potentially more yeah. for some of the sprinters. Um, and ultimately, there's no hills to go up. Ultimately, to a certain extent, the bigger you are, the higher your absolute power and the faster you're going to go to a certain yeah, exactly. extent. 
Um, yeah. So you're always up against it a little bit there. What um, cyclocross then? Obviously, you're a very, very talented cyclocross rider, and I learned this firsthand by you lapping me at a local cross race. <laughs> um, but tell me about your time doing cross, and ultimately, why do you not still do it now? Um, well, so yeah, I mean, cross is just brilliant. Um, probably started at like, the midweek races at the like Costello Stadium with um, was it City Road Club and Viva mm. Velo again. Um, you know, pitching up dinner on a mountain bike at first, and then like getting a cross bike. And then getting two cross bikes, and then racing nationals, Yorkshire League on a weekend, um, and then you know getting two matching cross bikes from Viva Velo because actually, like, I was like winning some stuff and wanted to get a bit more serious, and you know having two matching bikes when you're like trying to wait race for the win, like really helps mm. um and then basically uh cross is really expensive and especially if you're good like when you go away from being a, a youth to a junior you need to go to belgium and then you need not two bikes but three bikes a motorhome and it just wasn't feasible and now i mean i'd like to get back into cross but i mean it's like do i want to get really good at cross again or really good on the road because you have matthew van der poel Wout van Aert, tom it's like and then like the rest and you know, I don't want to be best of the rest, but it's kind of hard to get to where they are after not doing cross for so long, doing a season. And it's just the expense and the what it costs, I think, for being good at cross. You have to maybe sacrifice something on the road. Hmm. And I think I just prefer to work on one big goal and just focus on that. But I would like to get back into it but it's like at, at what level and at what point because mm. I mean like you're not paid or you're not you know like it's not really now it's like I still enjoy my riding and stuff I enjoy riding my bike but it's like I don't think people would be happy if I was like coming mm. 30th at a World Cup or whatever it is. Yeah. It's just like not worth it. Ultimately for you, what a better word, road racing is where the money's at. And yeah, ultimately, you know, for you to perform well on the road and impress those that are effectively going to be paying you, you need to be dedicating your season to the road season and if you went and did some cross races, yeah, I mean, obviously it's great training, great fitness, but there's always an element of risk, first of all. Like if you were to 
you know, run funny or pull a muscle or whatever it might be. But also, it's not always conducive to a good road season. And there's always a compromise and always a sacrifice that you have to take. And hats off to those who can do both. Um, yeah. But like you say, you know, it's very expensive. And for you to commit financially to be in a position which, you know, for, like you say, to have the motorhome, to have the three bikes, to to get to a, like, I think as a rider, you know, you, you would be contesting a, a podium at nationals still, like even if you didn't do much specific training. Um, but to get to that level, it would need a lot of investment and it's like yeah. a payoff into it. So it's like, um, do you think like, did you get, would you say in its moment you had more enjoyment out of cross? Like, do you, did you like the off-road mm. element to it? Well, yeah, I think, well, it's, it's hard because I actually do quite enjoy the road like just going out for a road ride like going as far as you can kind of thing um but i think yeah with cross it's just an hour of like going full gas sliding around corners getting filthy i mean i didn't enjoy the earache off my dad after but um yeah it's like just fun because like it's not it's not like i don't know there's a feeling with cross like when you go like you smash it through a camera whatever speed you do and it's and you're like your back wheels one way your front wheels another way your foot's off the pedals i mean like i've always liked motocross as well but i got stopped from having a motorbike by my dad and so it's like as close to like motocross as i can get so i was gonna bring that up actually and might as well do now um it didn't occur to me at the time but i was talking to my dad um the other week about you coming on the podcast, and he reminded me that we used to see your dad at motocross races back yeah, in the day. Yeah. Uh, so we used yeah. to race, and it kind of reminded me, and then I put two and two together, and obviously I always knew that I recognised your dad from something, but I couldn't put put the two and two together. So your dad, um, me and my dad used to race motocross, and we used to see your dad at events, and I must admit, and I'm sure your dad might listen to this, my dad said Simon used to be pretty slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's Mr. Mister Health and Safety. And I think that's like, <laughs> that comes out of my little brother. Um, but, yeah. Did you ever did you ever get into it or not? I had, a, what was it, like a, one of those Yamaha, like the tiny... Peewee um, 50s. Yeah, yeah, when I was like a kid. Like I was, must have been four or five had had a one of those um and I, I remember getting the um like i had the like the chad reed um kit like mm-hmm. there's a real tiny chad reed kit that i used to wear but i was like about five or six because yeah that's when my dad was um racing and stuff so i was like really young like too young to remember like yeah you then or um Uh anything i just remember my dad falling off basically that's all i can (laughs) remember about motocross but i just remember having that um and like i remember wanting like i was sort of outgrowing the bike as well and i was like oh dad's like i want to 
do my cross on, I'd be like you, or maybe not be like you, but be like Chad Reed or James Stewart. <laughs> yeah. And um yeah, like he just I remember him falling off one day and breaking his ribs, um breaking the collarbone and he had a collapsed lung as well or something. And wow. he was like, Yeah, just stop it. And then I was like, Oh, can I still ride and stuff like that? And he just sort of like looked at me and said, It's mm. too dangerous kind of thing. Mm. Um, so that stops me. So I, I think that's how I found like bikes, mountain biking, and mm. stuff. And because that's as close as I really could get to motocross. Mm. And you can, you know, I mean, it's a di- it's it's different, but you can get a similar kind of feeling when you race or ride off road. And and I've seen you many many times, you know, on your cross bike or your mountain bike, kind of going around the woods near you. Um, you know, round near South Cave and whatever. And, you know, if you if you got some speed up and you nail a section perfectly or you, you're battering down some, like, man-made berms and jumps, you can get a similar kind of sensation, can't you? And uh, yeah. that's, that's what interested me is the fact that I got the impression that you did really enjoy the off-road side of things and the skill element to that and the technical element to that. And it was very evident from watching you race cross that you had a unbelievable talent for finding grip when no one else had grip and finding the right lines and you know just sailing around corners um and it's interesting to see that you know you've gone the way of the road racing and i understand your reasons for doing that and i always wanted to ask like you know would you prefer to be off-road more if you could kind of thing makes a lot of sense um In your other three biggest cycling achievements, you also listed Otley GP, where you got yeah. second. Um, what year was that? Was that two, it was last year, I think, 2022. Mm. Um, yeah, got just out sprinted by is it Jake Scott. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, being a, a Yorkshireman, like I'm not from home, I'm from East Yorkshire. Mm. Um, so being a Yorkshireman and growing up with Joe and like Giles and Sonia who organise Otley GP now, um, it's always like a you know winning the was it the it's got a special name doesn't it like the super like was it the prestige or something like that it's it's um, yeah it's like quite a it's like a sort of a jokey thing, isn't it? Like you saw the ultra lads like who ride bikes grow up with that race, doing the youth race, two, three, four, then E one, two, and then if you're any good, you like you wanna win it. Um so to come that close is um like it's sort of bittersweet because I need to go do it again, but I think it's sort of the I think the last sort of i don't know with like the, the teams and stuff there's that teams there's that the real last year there was like any sort of teams so i think looking back it's kind of like a nice like a nice way to go out but there was actually like uh some sort of like substance to the riders and stuff like that with dhb center and even Ribble. I mean, it's not exactly like it was with NFTO and all that, but mm. I mean, at least there were some sort of teams keeping mm. keeping it interesting. 
What? How did that race? Because to be honest, I didn't I didn't see that race live, um, and it's one of the only re- races that I, I Ollie that I haven't watched live. So, how did that typically pay out? Were you just rolled on the line, kind of thing, or did it... well, like well, you just out sprinting me basically. I've not yeah. got the best sprint on me. Um, was it a bunch finish, or were you in a bit it of was breakaway? Two of us away. I um, oh, right. managed to got away with some. There's three of us. We dropped some guy from Wales, I remember, and then we just like um, just riding away. And yeah. I remember it was uh, Jake that attacked first, and I was like, because it was Sam and Joe and I riding for FDJ in that race, so we yeah, we could like sort of play a bit of team tactics, and like we were with Sam, we were definitely like stronger than any of the national teams um so i just sort of was like oh i'll just chase him mm. and we got away we we're pulling and then he like stops pulling at one point and because it's oddly and it's just crit race if you stop pulling you're just gonna get caught mm. so i was like oh i've he's done me here so i just because for me getting on the podium or whatever or getting second was better than just not having a yeah of course a, a race so i was just pulling and then i thought oh if i get into this last corner first maybe there's a chance you just can't come around me so i try and so i go into the corner like fairly fast but i on the exit or midway through the corner, I'll just slow it down a bit. So it's a bit harder for him to sprint, but I just had that way more power than me. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean if, ultimately, maybe, right, if was, maybe if it was tighter, these, it'd be yeah. easier. But These talent centre crits, Otley and Ilkley, there's such a buzz about them, isn't there? And, and, and I think, like, there's no better atmosphere than, than like, these little, the, the, the those two races. Um so you know, although you were first loser, uh, it must have still felt mint. Um, now, um, the other big win, other big cycling achievement, Tour of Alsace, um, mm. massive again, a massive kind of breakthrough in your career as a cyclist, I guess. Um, was that something that you kind of targeted? Was that something you expected, or was it a bit like? I think I got a bit of lucky, to be honest. I was a bit lucky. I mean, I was always always climbing well, this, that, and the other. But the day before that, I got in the breakaway and I was, like, really climbing well. Um, I think um, Leonard Van Advelt was, like, ill or something two weeks before, so he wasn't quite on form. Um, But I think, again, like, on on the planche day, I just had kind of those super legs that you sometimes get. Um, but I was the first year under 23 um, still finding like my way around the team around the races and yeah I just kind of got lucky but I was was brave in that I attacked and stuff and obviously like you need to pull to win a bike race at that level you need some something about you kind of thing Um, but yeah, I kind of didn't expect to win it. It just sort of happened, really. 
mm. out of luck and a bit of um you know luck legs and just a bit of tactics i think mm. but that's what makes a bike race it does you're very right um, but um, yeah it's, it's a weird one trinity racing then um it seems like i mean from the outside looking in and the bits that i know about it it seems like such a cool setup and arguably it is like the place to be if you're an elite cyclist in the uk you know especially a younger cyclist like yourself um before that you rode for um group arm fdj and so how would you say this compares to trinity um and with fdj like with that being your first kind of pro contract kind of thing mm. was it what you expected um with fdj it was uh really good like got to live in france i think there's good things about it and bad things about it um it's such a good team like they set up the riders um uh the ds was really good the guy called Gigi. It's like some French guy who rode for CCA Tupes when it was like really good. Worked with Simon Yates or Adam, whoever was at CCA Tupes. Um, I lived it, yeah, just learned how to grow up basically. Um, wasn't sure like what would happen because as a, you know, going from junior into under 23, it's so different. And especially like the French way of doing things is really different. Because um, they sort of, when you go over to the continent in France, it's like you hear about all these Belgian races that are hard, but then there's these French races that are <laughs> really hard. Um, so you're just kind of finding your way. Um, uh, and yeah, just learning that. Um, how to sort of work for people, how to do a job properly. And yeah, it was, like being in France is really good. Learn how to um, just be away from home. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like that language. really kind of matured you as a as an individual? Oh, massively. Like, I learned what the real world was. I thought I knew the real world at 18. Um, but I mean, when when you're out there alone, no one to help you out kind of thing um or yeah it's uh it's difficult especially when they don't speak any english to you it's um you learn how like learn things out the quick and the hard way do you know much but, french now then yeah i'd like to say i know a bit but i mean i'm not fluent or anything like that i could perhaps charm you if i <laughs> but within you know a few sentences but yeah i mean i'd I'd like to speak more french but i think uh, spanish and catalan is maybe more important going forward um because you know i'd quite like to live you know in that kind of region of spain Mm. um but yeah i mean yeah it's just a good experience being abroad like I'd not really seen much outside of, I've been on holiday and stuff to different countries, seen Italy, um, but it's like living there's a a completely different, different thing. 
Mm. And yeah, it's just just nice. I really enjoyed it. Good. How does that compare to the setup at Trinity now? And how would you say they compare? It's, I mean, Trinity is like more um, international kind of thing. Um, you have Colombians, you have um, Americans, Australians, some French guys. Um, it's there's a, there's a mountain bike side to it, and there's a road side to it. Um, I mean, it's it's good as a development squad, and I really enjoy being here, and you can still get results. Um, but it's just like a comp. It seems it feels a lot more relaxed than FDJ. Um, In a good way. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I think it's it's hard to like not. Um, you know, there's good things and bad things about every team, mm. and good things and bad things for people can be different in what they look for in a team. Mm. Um, but it's like, it's sort of a step, not back, but a, like a step in a different sort of direction kind of thing. It's more, uh, sort of feels a lot more grassroots in a clean cut, um, like machine that FDJ was. Like you, with FDJ, like every race you go to, um, a race in a camper, whether it be like the ass end of nowhere or down the road, like mm. you're in, you've got the best setup. And with with Trinity, they obviously do mountain bike, this that, and the other. There's a few races going on at once, but you know you're not you're not always in the camper. You're not always, but that's fine. Like it's it's good for me because I quite like going to a race and like just and sort of enjoying the racing for the racing yeah they're more understated potentially yeah because it's not always like you're going to a race to sort of win it you're just mm. going to have a work for someone to ride for someone i think it takes a bit of the pressure off you mm. and especially like with my coach now this year we were targeting a lot more races so and small races really like for me, it didn't really hack me off that there's no camper, there's no this, there's no that. But I mean, it's just I think it's a good place to be for me to be like this past year. Um, but obviously things haven't gone my way, unfortunately. But it's mm. it's life, it's, it happens. Yeah. Um, you just got to get back to it and get on with it, basically. So taking a step away from cycling for a little while um i'd like to talk a little bit about um how we got here so ultimately growing up in your childhood um i feel like i know bits about you now but there's a lot of kind of patches of your life that i know nothing about and uh so your family then so who is closest to you in your family would you say and were they a big influence on your development and who you are today? Oh yeah, massively. Like um, 
my nan and grandmother on my mum's side. Uh, they live in uh, Almaby. Um, so, you know, always been sort of down the road kind of thing. Um, yeah, my nan and granddad are super supportive. Um, and like, I just, my granddad's 83 and he's still doing press ups and stuff like that. Yeah. Bit, yeah, and he's went away to the Navy when he was like 15 and he's like, like he's, he's he's a, a nutter and he's a hard guy but you wouldn't think of thinking like he's just really nice and i think i think it's just good to see the the balance of being a you know what a true nutter is and what you know and but he's still a nice guy and yeah and then obviously my dad because you know he was into the sport into fitness this that, and the other so you know i think if you don't have the well because i started so young at like six or whatever um you know he sort of dragged me into sport kind of thing mm. and then obviously my mum because at the end of the day it's your mum isn't it mm. um and if they're around <laughs> getting here for and i've got Little, little sister who's not so little anymore she's 18 no 19 <laughs> and uh again like a, a little brother who's 14 um but there's like so many people not just in my family but in life and even this like the sport that have such an impact in you and like i think like now it's hard, yeah, it's hard to say, like, who are sort of your friends, your your family, because it's like with with Max and with Ed from Viva Velo and with uh, Phil Williamson, who's like, like, he looks after my body sometimes when I have an off. Mm. It's like, you meet them through the sport, but actually like you become quite close with them and it's they're not only in your sort of cycling life they're in your personal life mm-hmm. uh, and like you meet them when you're younger and because like i'm only 20 now you meet them when you're like 15 16 14 like you're still maturing and six years at that point is you know it's quite a big chunk of my life so mm-hmm. i've you know the sort of not just cycling people anymore the people i like and enjoy spending time with and stuff like that but yeah like there's there's so many people that have a like an effect on who you are and what what you kind of want to be as a person and as a bike rider and the brother or so on it's and that's the beauty of having a sport like cycling is ultimately it gives you a massive circle of friends and influencing people, doesn't it? That you can always get in touch with no matter what, how deep you are in the shitter or how well you're doing, you know, you can always call them up and have a conversation. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I mean, such as people like Ed at the shop, you know, the, the stuff that is done for you over the years. And I mean, 
when I used to go in there regularly, if I didn't see you in there, I'd see your dad in there and getting his wallet out. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he was, I mean, so you touched on it there. Your sister, she's also a cyclist. Yeah, I mean, she's going to uni now, so it's like kind of stepping away from that kind of thing. But she still runs and still rides. But I think, I think I've sort of scared her with the level I sort of take stuff to. That is, that's the image of cycling she has. Um, and I think she she still has like the the same genes as me. So she's like there's something in her head that um makes her want to like do the best or be the best um, you say you're scared of what do you mean by that like it's not a pretty sight when you're um like on the turbo in the kitchen like smashing yourself and like, almost like passing out and stuff <laughs> like that and coming in from winter rides like just disgusting you can't yeah. speak your hands hurt and I think, yeah, it doesn't quite appeal to her. <laughs> and, and again, like, um, sort of, like, being away as well on your own, like, she's seen that it's actually, like, quite hard and having to, like, sort things out and sort of, um, sort of, I don't know, like, put things together in a way that's not possible really and it's just hard and yeah it's kind of like put her off a bit like mm. yeah she's seen how like because i don't want to be just a bike rider i don't want to be the best bike rider i can be so i do everything i can and i probably take it like over the edge of extreme to where it's like unhealthy mm. But that's the way I choose to live my life and get to where I want to be. And I was talking to somebody recently about you, actually. And and don't get me wrong, they're a big uh, friend. They're, they're a friend of yours and you know, yeah, they, yeah. they respect you a lot. But they were talking about your training style and mm. the way they described it is quite brute. You said they said that it was it was you were you take it so and what I mean by that or what they meant by that of that 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 kind of idea of train incredibly hard all of the time and get fit. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. putting yourself in a box, not being afraid to press on a lot of the time, you know, getting into a state of unbelievable fatigue a lot of the time. And obviously, you've got a pencil in recovery as well, but you are known to be one of those that takes that to the extreme as well. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, massively. But it's hard because I enjoy being out on my bike, so it's like I just ride a bit more or something like that. And it's kind of, you know, I, I advise the, the Pantanis, the Mercs is you know the falso copy for me that's like what bike riding is like these like like mythical stories of these guys and what they did so i'm not afraid to 
go to the extreme kind of thing. So you've got a week of good weather. You're yeah. in the UK. Yeah. Um, staying at home. You've got no other commitments other than riding a bike. You're eight, ten weeks out from a major race and you're in a big block of training. Tell me about what that week looks like, roughly. How many hours are you doing and how many kind of interval days are there in there as well? Mm, I'd say there's quite a bit of volume in there. Um, I reckon we'd be on about 25 hours in that week. And not massive, but it's like, again, like not quite the time where you need to be sort of really chasing it kind of thing. You just, I don't know, you sort of maintaining but improving. So I think I wouldn't start with, there wouldn't be a, a threshold block in there just yet. Maybe a bit of threshold, but not a lot. Maybe some bit of zone free work, just a nice, um, just something to touch all areas. Um, so a bit of threshold in there, a bit of zone three, bit of like your endurance rides. Um, obviously stretching gym, but I do that sort of around the sides like consistently. So I don't put in the season. I don't put a massive like block aside to do like gym work or you know mobility block or anything like that it's just mm -hmm. because you need i think you need to just keep on top of all sort of metrics or parameters um and improve sort of everything and then obviously i'm gonna have oh, sort of higher day like higher intensity days where i do maybe uh 20 40s or something like that but I don't know that since I've gone to like under twenty three, the races is they're so much different that like it's very rare that you ever do anything that's like super top end. Mm -hmm. It's sort of all about metabolic fitness and um, efficiency stuff like that. Um, but again, like it's I think it's so. You get different coaches doing different things, but it's so like periodized and polarized that it's you know it, it can change like in up to each lead up of a race like it can change. And again, like I'm still young, so I'm still finding what works for me, mm. and I'm still like I'm finding out that actually maybe doing twenty five hours here, thirty weeks there, or an interval session here a road ride here it you know just doesn't you know i'm just finding out what works and what doesn't the same with like your training like just because you have a session that's you know 20 40s this that and the other it doesn't mean that it's going to adapt your view to the best that way um there's just a lot of ways of doing things and i mean i think that's shown in my training peaks as well mm. like i have such a variety of sessions and such a variety of intervals and efforts that 
it's you know it's quite hard to say like what a typical week is and like the also like the the nice thing about being a full-time bike rider is i don't have a job to go to i don't have like a schedule i don't have so if i'm like screwed one day it doesn't matter i can have a a rest day or recovery day that day because i've got the full week to rejig it or the full month i mean the closer you get to a race obviously the it's more crucial that you get um like it's more specific and you're doing the right things at the right time but you know when you have when you're full time you can afford to um rejig things around and actually it's you can get the best out of yourself Gosh, by that because yeah. your body doesn't your body doesn't react the same way all the time mm. um so like you could do a the same session um the next week and feel fine after it or you mm. could do it two weeks down the down the the line and you could feel absolutely dead from it it's you know no. you need to listen to your body and everything like that and ultimately being full-time it's a mental thing as well because physically like you say you can put yourself in a hole one day and know that you can just rest up for the rest of the day or the next yeah, day yeah. whatever needs be but it's mental as well i think sometimes like for example if you're you've got a training session to do and you're doing some efforts and those efforts are like you know long hard efforts the really tough days if you've got a job to go to that afternoon or the next morning, if you're doing it on an evening, in the back of your mind, even if it's subconsciously, you're going to be thinking, you know, I've got to get myself up and go to work after this. Mm. Um, whereas if you've got nothing to do other than come back and optimize your recovery as much as you can ready for the next day, you know, mentally you can, you can go so much deeper. You can suffer so yeah. much more on the basis that you've got nothing to lose other than, get fitter and adapt more and like if you're working well with your coach and you do go maybe a bit too hard one day and you're suffering the next day you've got that relationship to say look coach I'm not feeling great today do you think it might be wise to just have an easier day tomorrow and then we go hard again the next day um, and if it's at the right time in the season that's the best way of doing it how did you find education and that whole kind of school um school time then obviously at that point you were still you know you you were already a very good cyclist and you kind of probably knew that this was going to go somewhere how did you find education in general well uh, it's hard i didn't i mean I, I really didn't enjoy it to be honest like i got i, I was still at six one at the time and i was um uh I just, just really didn't enjoy it. Just wanted to be out on my bike. Mm -hmm. I mean, as um, as even just trying to become a barber, just so I didn't have to do school. But the school wouldn't let me because I did quite. I shot myself in the foot by doing doing well in my GCSEs. Um. I made a deal with my dad that, um, you know, I have to do well in my GCSEs, obviously, but if I got into the junior academy, who maybe think twice about um, sixth form and stuff, mm -hmm. 
because I think he knew that university, if I was going down the route I was going down, was not really going to happen. And mm. I think, you know, at that point, I was just committing to um, being at track um, on on a weekend, mid even midweek, like you have to miss school, going to races, coming back Tuesday, missing school. Um, and when you're doing A-levels, A-levels are hard. <laughs> you need to be like, your head needs to be in a book and stuff like that. And I mean, because I went to quite a good school, it's, um, you know, they expected quite a lot of you and they didn't really understand that what I was mm-hmm. doing. And, um like as well the person i am i want to do the best be the best i can be so i have like it was all or nothing so i was just it was like why am i getting stressed out about school when i could just be getting stressed out about bike racing <laughs> so i was just i just packed six form in i mean i enjoyed secondary school like there's no way of getting out of secondary school is uh, um is you have to do it um but i managed to like find a balance like i had some a good group of school friends and stuff so um yeah it, it was more bearable but i think once i got past sort of the gcse point like i just wanted nothing to do with school even in primary school just hated it wanted to be running wanted to be swimming wanted to be um on my back I didn't want to be sat still and I think that's why I I got into sport like mm. I started off in the swimming pool I think to keep me to keep my parents sane so I wasn't um bouncing off the walls wasn't fighting my sister wasn't riding the dog um yeah like just I mean school I, I think school's not for everyone but mm. unfortunately the way it is you have to do it and just you have to just get through it it's funny because like for me at the time while i was immersed in it i didn't necessarily think oh this is this is awful i could be doing something a lot better than this but now looking back at it i think just how kind of limiting it felt and just how like you're just kind of going down this this tunnel and you don't you know you've got like blinkers on and you you know you're striving for these for these results in these specific subjects that you've got a lot of like hardly any interest in whatsoever. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. Do you think if you, if you decided that cycling wasn't for you and you did want to take a different route and you needed a job, do you think, have you got any specific areas of interest? Anything yeah. that you'd want to be? bricklaying yeah (laughs) i think that's that's just like i've not got any a levels and like i've seen my dad work hard and what that's put him through i just think the money you know money doesn't bother me i just prefer to be happy and poor or well not poor but just happy than sell my Soul away to money, taxes, and the a nine to five. I just prefer to be outdoors, laying bricks, causing havoc. 
Um, yeah, just, I mean, it's like that's where that's like cycling now. That like, is my life. So if I'm not cycling, it's hard to see what I would be doing. Um, and I don't think I could stomach like just selling my soul away to a a job in an office or to stress like that. I mean, I think going to like European countries like Spain and so I mean the the Spanish work more than the Ger more hours than the Germans, but like their way of life is so much healthier than what I've seen other people's lives to be here. Like I don't want to be a slave to money and then die and then have no sort of um like quality or happiness i think yeah it's just you need to be happy and bike riding makes me happy so i think yeah just brick lane something like that Some, something simple that just well it's not simple but it's um you know that is the type of answer that i would expect from a 25 30 year old not 19 20 year old um i feel like yeah you've got a very mature head on you and that is like such a good answer and it's very much where i'm at as well so i can relate to it for sure um ultimately i i know where you come out with brick lane because you're outside yeah you get the fresh air you can more often not control your own hours. It's kind of one of those things that, you know, you can do without investing loads of kind of mental energy into it and like, you know, just get it done um, have a good crack with your workmates and then go off and do your own thing afterwards, you know? And, yeah. and whereas people chasing the next paycheck, the next fancy job, you know, they get caught in this kind of this cycle where they're always wanting more. Have you ever heard of the parable of the Mexican fisherman? No, no, no. I won't say it on the podcast because it's quite <laughs> lengthy. But after yeah. the podcast, Google the parable of the Mexican fisherman. And right. uh, it's an interesting way of putting it. And it's it's exactly what you're talking about there. Um, Finn. When I initially got in touch with you, I sent you a message on Instagram um, yeah. because nowadays it's one of the only one of the easiest ways you can message someone when you don't have their number. And in your late reply, you apologized for not getting back to me sooner. Yeah. Um, and you explained that it was because you are not using social media and trying to stay away from it a bit more. Yeah. Why is this? And do you think, felt this? Do you feel like this is keeping you on track? Um, it's keeping me more sane, I think, um, because you, all you ever see is like good things, and you know this house, this blade of grass, this tree looks a certain way. It does only on social media. It's the same with everything, like. And for me now, like social media is not, um, 
I can't follow what I want to follow now. I can't, um, you know, I have to be careful what I like. Um, and I have to see, um, well, I have to see, but you're often bombarded with um, stuff that is not really related and you just, it just comes up and I think it's just not worth the, it's not worth the, the space on my phone, the data, just to like mindlessly sort of scroll through something. I mean, if I'm, you know, if if I'm interested in, and from a people like side, if you know me and we're genuinely like friends or gen, like I like your company, you'll have my number, so mm. ring me or, mm. you know. I'll, I'll check it now and again just so I don't miss like messages from people who I like and <laughs> they don't have my number but it's um I think people get so it's a, become a bit of a cliche thing to do but it's like people get so sucked in with everyone's like life and business that actually I'm not that bothered about it so what well, I don't care so why do I need to see what you're doing kind of thing like good for you but it's, it's you're not a part of my sort of story my where i'm gonna go so why you know i just don't see the need to see Again. everything that's right with yours and pick apart sort of my life kind of thing Again, um your answer the um yeah th there's been I'm glad you've answered like that. There's been studies on it, and I was only reading a study yesterday on it, actually. Um, there's been studies where they took a group of um, students. I think they took, like, a group of about 1,000 students. And 500 of those students, they was a control group, and they just let them keep everything as it is. They all had social media. They all had the normal Instagram, Facebook platforms, and the mindlessly scroll on it every day and whatever and the other contra the other group and um, the experiment group um they just kept everything the same in their life but they took out all of social media they just didn't allow them to go on instagram facebook or anything they took it off the phones and six months later they measured certain traits like general happiness their interaction and connections with real life people and the time that they spend in deep and meaningful conversations and the difference was incredible i think it was something like the the people who came off social media spent something like 35 percent more time meeting face to face real life people friends family having good meaningful interactions they their ha their perceived happiness went up by something like 30 odd percent um and there's all these markers and it just shows you like you know i mean i'm in this unfortunate position to a certain extent where i kind of need it a lot for my job um, yeah and i get a lot of business through it and uh and that's just the way that a lot of work works is going um but yeah, I've started to like do my own things of like, you know, limiting certain times that I go on it. Um, and uh, and I've now got a business phone, which has my social media on and a personal phone, which just has my contacts that I need on. And I only get my business phone out on certain times. Um, and it's these little hacks that you can improve things. But no, that's a, 
you know, because you are that kind of catchment age where everyone's on social media, everyone's spending way too much time on it. Um, and it's, yeah, this typical highlight reel of seeing what everyone else is doing. Um, so I'm very mindful of time, Finn. Uh, we've well, been for the, the a bit of time here. Um, we're going to go, we're going to go into some quick fire questions to right. keep it interesting. Um, and some of these are some questions I've created. Some of them are submitted from Instagram stories, which some listeners have submitted. So, oh, nice. So, watch out for some because there's some spicy <laughs> ones in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll start off easy. Critically, you're only allowed to answer these with a few words or a sentence. Right. When are you at your happiest? Mm. Uh, alone in Spain, up the side of like Sierra Nevada. Riding your bike or not? Yeah, riding my bike or even walking. Mm. Um, doing some sort of like movement, moving. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just find it just being alone, being on my bike or beat walking, just, just like sort of going on autopilot, um, feeling a bit of a burn. Um, it's just nice. Do you find you enjoy time to yourself? Um, I've sort of learned to be on my own more because of the kind of um that person I am because I'm very um it can be very difficult because I like to do things a certain way like with my training with my diet with my sleep um so it can be like very um like straining on relationships and stuff like that and if you don't quite understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it it can be can seem a bit like I'm difficult, like I'm don't like your company, but it's not that. Like I just want to do this because there's like something inside me that's like it's like a I don't know. It's like it's sort of like I describe it as like sort of feeling anxious all the time. It's not a bad thing, but it's like something there to chase kind of thing like you want to do it it's it's i think i'm a bit like a you know racehorse in the um in the gates like mm -hmm. i just like need to do something or i'm ready to go do this and it it's just part of my life that i've learned how to get the best from people by actually maybe taking the time um to get things done that decompress sort of thing and come out as a new character um because i find that if i don't decompress after a hard session or something like that i can um come off as a bit of a, a dick um well this is from my family <laughs> um but it's not because i'm i'm trying to be difficult or trying to start up an argument i'm just like i can't speak or 
Um, I'm just a bit fried from what I've just done or put in. It's, you know, like just decompressing, being alone and then um, like sort of restarting again is like the best thing to do. I mean, I, I, I enjoy company and everything like that. Um, do you feel like but, this affects your relationships with other people? Oh, yeah, massively. Like it's a, it's it's a lie that, like, you spend so much time on a bike away from your family, away from, um, you know, away from people that it doesn't like for like now, like what I I say it's quite a lot to people that try to understand like the sacrifice and the strain it puts on people, like especially with like school friends and friends like i used to have my friends my cycling friends then it went to being um sort of both like friends and then it went to being my friends and then my school friends mm. so it's like it's weird and then now i've just got my friends so mm. um you know the ones that want the best you stick by and the ones that are not um you know like obviously well, not that they don't want the best, but, you know, your interests and their interests aren't aligned, you know, they go elsewhere. And it can be bad, it can be good, you know. It's just the way it is, and that's that's life as well. So, And I guess it would take a very special type of woman in your life that would be able to deal with, deal with that personality as well. Yeah. Um, yet to find one <laughs> but yeah it's like with my my mum as well like I think because I'm the eldest like it's hard for her to see me um away and stuff like that like it's yeah like and see what I do how I am I think it's hard for her and my mum sort of doesn't come from uh well, both my parents don't come from a uh, like a, a professional sport background. Um, they're both hardworking and everything and stuff like that. Um, but I think you know my mum takes care of you no, know, my dad takes care of my mum, so she doesn't have to maybe work as hard. But you know, my dad's my dad's like really quite hardworking. Um, so I think he can see the sacrifice and the, you know, the, everything that goes into it. So I think he sort of understands a bit better than my mum. But mm. yeah, like relationships and elite sport is just a bit of a nightmare mm. because you need um, people, unfortunately. Um, it's, it's making me laugh. This because these are supposed to be quick fire questions. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's all right. It just shows. To be honest it shows um who you are it shows that like there's there's no quick fire answers everything's got meaning and everything's got thought behind it next one if you could live anywhere in the world where would it be andorra andorra mm-hmm. in women what's your number one biggest ick or red flag Red flag, oh, it. oh. <sighs> I 
if they swear a lot. I don't like that. Okay, fair. That's a good one. Um, what's your go-to flavor ice cream? Pistachio. Good choice. What's okay? Here's one. This is one I created. You have absolutely cracked on a five-hour ride round the bleak Yorkshire roads in winter. You get home, your hands are cold, you're absolutely starving, you've bonked. You get in, what do you eat first? What do you pull out of the cupboard? Well, for my home, I have to, you know, I'm lucky if there's anything in the cupboard because I've got <laughs> a little brother that's an absolute unit. Um, so, no. I'd probably just go for some like toast and peanut butter. I mean, I'm pretty simple. Like, I eat pretty much the same thing all the time. And I just quite like toast and peanut butter. So I'd probably have a Fair. bit of that, a bit of honey on it, maybe. And probably get smashing the coffee as well. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite pro cyclist? Who do you aspire to most? Marco Pantani, I think. And then I've got loads. Like, I could, like, I think, oh, there's just, like, this is where the sport is really good. Like, Marco Pantani, oh, of course, you have to include Mertz and guys like that, and Fausto Coppi, Gino Bartoli. Well, um, they're all, like, from the previous era. Oh, Dude, yeah, like, it's Why is that then, would you say? Just because of the stories, like with especially like Frank Vandenbroek, he's like just more than a cyclist, he's a character. He's you know, and his character comes out and he's riding, and it's all ridden with passion. And like with Contador and Schleck, it's just oh, it's just brilliant. And that's like my first memory is um, of like bike racing is like watching Contador and Schleck go up the Tolmelay in 2010. I remember getting him from school and watching that and just thinking, oh, my God, this is amazing. Um, I know that I've, think... I've recently seen a photo of you, actually. You must have been, what, like 10, 11 years old, maybe a little bit older. And you've got, like, a Team Sky, like, GB top on or something. Or you, oh, I yeah, think yeah. you've got, like, Hull Thursday shorts. And you're going up some sort of climb with the crowds, like, shouting at you. Yeah, Where it's in butter tubs, I think. Oh, is it? When the tour came, yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah. I just, I just think it's brilliant. Like the the stories of all like the riders, even now, like there's some pretty good stories. But it's it, now it's very performance hmm. um, based, and you know, there's always that like, myth and legend in there around every sport and every you know like culture. I think hmm. you still you have to like admire it and stuff like that. Hmm. What uh so if you were to have to pick a pro rider from current era, like current pro Peloton, um, who would it be? That I idolise. Or mm-hmm. I want yeah. to be. Mm. It's the, hard the... because like I say this to like you know, my dad and my parents ask me like, like who do you who do you want to be? Like who do you like um you know, look up to, and I think it's hard because I want, I want to ultimately like one day beat these people, and like the, the these guys in my era. So like, I want to take down 
you know, these big guys. Um, but I think it's, it's hard to say. I mean, as a person, as black people, I think I'd quite like to um, be like um, Mate Mahorich because he's a good bike rider, but I think in his interview at the tour, he um, just shows you like what a nice guy he is, and I think it's you know it's quite important to to be you know uh, quite a level-headed kind sort of guy. Mm-hmm. That yeah, it's just I like it's not about the now for me it's not about what people can do performance-wise. It's what they like as people because. You know, performance-wise, I want to go on better, and I don't want to be idolising that because I want to do my thing, kind of mm-hmm. thing. But in terms of the character and the the rider, I think, yeah, you just have to turn to Matej Mohoric and look at what he's like, because not only is he like willing to take risks, so he's, you know, also comes across really well. Mm. and I think that's a, a big thing for me mm. is like how a rider carries himself I hate it when like someone gets like a post-race interview or a pre-race interview and it's like their answers or how they come across is like so robotic and it's like mm. oh I'm being interviewed what am I meant to say as a cyclist at this level like rather than actually what they might think or you know, how they actually want to be put across as, as a person. And you can see it because it's so false. Um, but I actually watched in preparing for this interview, like I I watched an interview that you had. Um, I think it was pre-Otley or post-Otley. Um, and yeah, you came across as Finley Pickering. You, 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 yeah. And <laughs> what I also like about you as well, which like it sounds insignificant, but you can really, no matter how long you've stayed on other continents or whatever it might be, your whole accent just shines through. <laughs> oh, good. good. And you sound so broad. And, uh, like, you see, actually, like, I mean, not to mention any names, but I think, like, even people like Tom Pidcock, like, he's had interviews and he's, like, stayed in Spain for a couple of weeks before it or whatever. And like he's just completely yacht lost his Yorkshire twang, and you're like, but then yeah. he's back, back again the next day, and you're like, um, and I'm sure it's easily done sometimes without even thinking about it. But uh, but yeah, don't lose that, will you? Um, oh, try not to. <laughs> so, two more questions. Um, Hermione won the <laughs> Hermione won <laughs> the only national medal last year. How does it feel to be second best pickering? No, well, yeah, I just have to take that one on the chin, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's good, isn't it? You might be able to guess who that's from. Yeah. Uh, who who do you think, who's your money on for winning the mountain bike cross-country worlds? Mm. I don't know how close do you follow the XC stuff, but... Not too, like... Um closely but i don't i don't like really don't like kind of 
No, the who's on fire? The um, maybe Sam Gaze. Um, I don't know if he's riding or not, but um, there's another um, who was I watched the World Cup in. Well, I didn't. I wasn't there, but I watched it on like Eurosport. The World Cup in is it Nova Mesto or something like that, or um, Val de Sol. Um, is that when Tom uh, when he was first back mm. and um, was it I don't, he got beaten didn't he and to the, be honest you're losing the, me anyway I, well I, I Sam, get, we'll just say Sam Gaze Sam Gaze yeah I easily get um, I've got a bad memory for like which course is which course if you know what I mean like you Obviously, I know all the names of the different courses, but I forget which one's which. And uh, so, yeah, I, I often forget who won which one. Um, but, yeah, it's um, it's a good shout. Some closing questions, which I ask everybody. Um, if you were to give one piece of advice to other aspiring athletes such as yourself who are wanting to be good bike racers, what would it be? Um, um, be patient I think um, even, like, even if you're young or you're old you have to be patient but like, trust in the process you might have uh, weeks well, you might have days, weeks, months, years when things don't go your way but that's the way it is but the law, like the laws of average um if you're consistent and you keep going, you're going to eventually come through. Like, I think as a young rider, you can look up to these guys like um, like Remco, like Tade, like one of you, so, and think, oh my God, they're unreal. They're doing this, they're doing that. Why are I doing that? And it's just because it doesn't work like that for everyone. Like, that's just the way it is. Like, it, there's no, I think as, like, as obviously when you, you step up to a World Tour team, they know the metrics to control. And they obviously, like, safeguard that because, you know, they're putting millions into it. But, I mean, as an amateur, like, it's hard to know what metrics to follow to, to, get the most out of your body but I think if you do things right and you live like a a sustainable well I can't say sustainable because I think you have to if you want to be the best you have to live unsustainably but it's how long you can hack it and how far you can push it is the testament to what rider you will be or want to be um, but I think the sort of the, the ground rules are be patient, be consistent. Um, it's like consistency is, it, it's not just about getting on your bike every day. It's about keeping your head in the right place, keeping your diet good or doing food. And yeah, you just you just have to believe in the process and trust in your coach and what you're doing. I mean, because, you know, Roma wasn't built in a day. Like, you just, 
it's you can get so hung up on sort of the short term that actually you know you don't realize that you know you need you need your mini goals your so your halfway goals and your big goals and like mm. even your mini goals are hard to hit it's it's just it's it's just hard like it's hard it's hard spot and it's a hard lifestyle but you just have to believe be patient and just keep slogging basically it's um you say that um and a lot of people might be fooled into believing that this whole process is un unenjoyable and you know when you when you use terms like keep slogging um you know it's that comes across quite negatively generally but yeah would you say that you are enjoying the whole process most of the time or all of the time? Yeah, like I thought I had a bad year this year, like last year, but this year has been something else. Like it's been horrible. Um, but like I wouldn't still be getting on my bike and still be training if I didn't enjoy it. Like mm. I think people have different um, like motivations for doing different things, different sports, getting on the bike. But yeah, I mean, it always starts with enjoying it for me. Like, like when I go out for a ride, um, like I enjoy my seven-hour rides where I could, I see how hard I can go for seven hours, basically, or like until you know the point comes where like your your legs just can't. You've done everything in your power to fuel to ride well, but there just becomes a point that like six and a half hours where just you stop working and i think that's what i enjoy um because i think for me with sport and stuff like that and having brothers and sisters it's always been competitive i think i've learned how to thrive off uh, competition and um the i quite enjoy um the discomfort that comes with it like uh it's weird because i'm sitting down and doing nothing uh, it's just very numb mm. like there's there's no like it's just like i don't feel alive kind of thing i just feel a bit numb but like when your legs are burning when it's just you know you're uncomfortable and you like kind of you get to the point where you want it to stop i think that's where it's like it makes me feel good like i think instead of smoking or drinking or getting high or whatever i just prefer to do a, a vo2 interval and just completely get the get the feeling after that than anything else it's just i just i don't know what it is it's just that addicting mm. like just smashing yourself or just the the discomfort that comes with it i just i don't know i just quite enjoy it and i think makes you feel alive doesn't it yeah yeah and i think being like an athlete now and the discomfort and the slog kind of thing this i just i look at my dad and think about what he's had to do when he was like um trying to get the money in it's like it's not really a, a slog kind of thing there's mm. like there's obviously the stress on myself and everything but i don't have a family to um provide for so like the slog is 
you know, I, I want to slog it out kind of thing. And mm. it's just, you know, if, if you do something every day for that long, sometimes it can become a bit mundane, but it's like a necessary evil. And and every day you have a good day or a, or a bad day. Um, it's just part of life, really, isn't it? So it's just doesn't answer much. Abby Smith, last question. Yeah. The previous podcast guest, Abby Smith, she left you a question. Um, and I'm going to ask you to do the same, which you can email me after. Yeah. She didn't know who she was asking the question for at the time. But yeah. to be fair, I think it's very relevant for you because you're a cross rider as well as a road rider. Socks over or under leg warmers? Under. Okay. Yeah. Is that because you're always riding around in spats? Um, yeah, but I think, I don't know. Like, if you got, like, I always wear white socks as well. Ah, uh, yeah. I and mean, I think, that. you know, when your bib tights are black or your warmers are, tight, uh, are black, I think having a bit of white ankles sticking out of your white shoes, it just looks like cleaner than having a sock go over a leg warmer and when your socks white you can see the black through and it's just i don't think it's a good look (laughs) fair play good answer finn this conversation has been inspiring it's been um a big eye opener for me actually and it's been a long time since i've had any kind of talk with you really um and it's been really really nice to see how much you've matured as an athlete as well as a person and how much cycling can bring such joy but also such um education and understanding to the world um and i'm hoping that all the listeners to this podcast have really got a lot of insight and a lot of understanding from it and know you in a lot more detail um, and a lot more as a person thank you very much for coming on the podcast and um i endeavor while you're around in cottingham and while you're not absolutely slogging yourself to bits yeah while you're in a bit of a chilled period of riding we might be able to get a bit of riding together soon yeah i hope that'd Um, be that'd be nice you can just hear the dog drinking in the background so that's good timing to close the podcast all right thank you very much for coming on finn yeah thank you for having me cheers mate